Well, I'm just going to go straight into sharing some things this morning. I think this class is over at 945. Is that correct? I think so. Let's turn over to John chapter 4. This is a scripture that I referred to last night, and I think um, it's been mentioned a couple of times this morning. But in John chapter 4 is where Jesus was ministering to the woman at the well, just a tremendous, tremendous example of how to evangelize, how to reach people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And anyway, she, uh, Jesus just zeroed in on her personal relationship with the Lord. And immediately when he did that, she started bringing up theological questions. Lord, you, the Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem. We worship here in Samaria. Where's the right place to worship? And Jesus, you know, he just briefly answered that. He deflected that question and went right back to her personal relationship with the Lord. And here's what he said in uh, John chapter 4, verse 23. He says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, by the fact that he talks about true worshipers, that means there's false worshipers. Did you know not everybody who worships God worships him in spirit and in truth? But the time has come that the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say that this is the best way to do it. This is a better way to do it. It's the only way to do it. You must worship God in spirit and in truth. Man, that's awesome. You know, in spirit, there's lots of people think spirit is, uh, yeah, it's subjective. Some people think that, um, you know, I've got friends that if they pray for a person and if the person doesn't fall on the ground, they'll push them over. Because, I mean, that's the way the spirit is. And it's true that sometimes the Holy Spirit overwhelms people. There's scriptural examples of people falling on the floor. And if that happens, that's, that's awesome. I mean, John Wesley used to have people that would get knocked out and be out for two or three days. They'd have to take them home in buckboards. So I, it happens. But you know what? There's some people that think that's what being in the Spirit is, is falling over. There's some people that think that it's shaking. There's some people that when they feel the Holy Spirit, they just go to trembling. There's others that scream and yell. And it's all kinds of different things to different people. But you know, being in the Spirit is just, John chapter 6, verse 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's just consistent with the Word. I'm going to share some things with you today from the Word. And this is the reason that the Bible says you have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So the truth is the Word of God. And we have to combine those two. It's not just talking about some kind of a feeling or emotion. Emotions are wonderful. Praise God when they come. But you need to worship God in spirit when you feel nothing. And some people think, well, if I'm feeling nothing, then I'm not in the spirit. It's not so. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth is just worshiping God in line with what the word of God reveals and you doing it from your whole heart, being pure, not just in your emotions. Matter of fact, our emotions get in the way. Here's what I wanted to share with you this morning. that You know, I had an experience with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968. I had become a religious Pharisee. I was trusting in my goodness, 
because I was acting better than anybody I knew. I was acting better than pastors of the church. And I was leading more people to the Lord. And I just became really proud in who I was. And uh, the Lord showed up. And I got caught up in the presence of God and saw the glory of God. And all of a sudden, I wasn't near as impressive. And, um, man, I abhorred myself. And I spent an hour and a half, two hours in front of all the leaders of the church repenting and expecting God to kill me. When I saw how ungodly I was, I thought he was going to kill me. But instead, this love of God, John, uh, it was uh, Finney said it was like waves of liquid love. And for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the presence of God. And it was wonderful and it was emotional, but at the same time, it was confusing because for the first time in my life, I realized I didn't deserve anything. And I wasn't worthy. And I had always tied God's love to something I did that made me worthy. And for the first time in my life, I knew I didn't deserve anything. And so it was wonderful, but it was confusing. And when the emotion wore off, which I can spend a lot of time talking about that, but you cannot live. God doesn't want you to live on an emotional plane. That's a whole other message. But anyway, when the emotion wore off, then I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to survive. I didn't know how to get back to where I was. I didn't know what I did that made it happen. I didn't know what I did to make it stop. I, did, I was just panic set in. There was a lot of confusion. And right at that time, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, which was the best thing that it could have ever happened. Because when I went to Vietnam, I was a Baptist, hardcore Baptist. And in uh, 13 months in Vietnam, I never met another Christian. I was a chaplain's assistant, and I never met another Christian except the ones that I led to the Lord. And uh, I had no fellowship, no nothing, and so all I could do was just get in the Word of God and study. And it was really great. I'd spend 15 hours a day studying the Bible, and when I got out of Vietnam, I wasn't a Baptist anymore. I didn't try and change. I didn't mean to change. I didn't even know I changed. I went back to the same Baptist church when I got out and they didn't want me anymore because I'd been ruined by studying the word. But anyway, my point is that during that time in Vietnam, uh, there, was, there were these popular songs out. One of them from the Baptist church where I came from was, Oh, Victory in Jesus. And another one, a chorus that was popular at that time is, I've got the victory. You've got the victory. We've all got the victory now. I've got joy like a uh, fountain. Or how's that go? Anyway, something like that. But he was singing about, I've got joy like the ocean, love like a... Whatever. And anyway, I wouldn't sing those songs because I was a lot of things, but I wasn't a hypocrite. And I wasn't going to sing victory in Jesus when I didn't have victory in Jesus. I wasn't going to sing about joy and peace when I didn't feel it. And I refused to sing those things. Sometimes it would just come bubbling up out of me and I'd stop it. <laughs> Man. Because uh, I wasn't going to be a hypocrite. And when I got out of Vietnam, the Lord spoke some things to me about being in the Spirit and who I was in the spirit and showed me this. And it totally, totally changed everything. And I think 
This is one of the things that totally changed the way I worship the Lord and the way I relate to God. And I really think that this is an area that a lot of people do not understand. And because of it, they have some problem in their life. They don't feel joy. They don't feel peace. They don't feel like praising God. And so they won't do it. They won't engage because they say, well, it'd be hypocritical for me to do that. I lived there for uh, quite a period of time. But here's some things that the Lord... Uh, showed me that just transformed my life. Look over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. And uh, this is an application of things that the Lord began to show me about when I got born again. And I'm going to try not to just teach on spirit, soul, and body, but I've got to refer to some of it in order to be able to make these truths. This is what changed my life. And uh, it says, in, when you get born again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you are in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Not some things, but all things. And people struggle with that because they look in the mirror and they say, man, I'm not new. You know, when I minister on this and um, people in prison watch my programs or listen to it, our response from prison just goes through the roof because these people in prison know that their life's a mess they know that they need help, so they pray and they ask God to come in. And they're told that if you make Jesus your Lord, you'll become a new person. Old things have passed away, all things become new. And they wake up, they go, you know, pray this prayer wanting to be a totally transformed person. And they wake up the next day and they're still in the same jail cell. They're still wearing the same jumpsuit. They're still being eaten prison food. They're still being told that they're worthless and no good. And they can't see a physical, visible change out there. And many people prayed a prayer and were sincere, but they didn't see physical change and they just think nothing happened. But see, it's not your physical body that changed. You've still got the same body. If you were a female before you got born again, you'll still be a female. If you were a male, you'll still be a male. If you were ugly, you'll still be ugly. Amen. <laughs> Unless you start fixing up. If you're fat, you'll still be fat. Did you know your physical body doesn't change and old things pass away and all things become new? And it's not talking about your soul either because if you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. Your mind doesn't instantly change. You can renew it and change it to a degree. But the Bible says that we're going to get a glorified body that won't be mortal. It'll be immortal. We are going to get a soul that will know all things even as also we are known. None of those things have happened. So how do you interpret 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. They didn't say they are passing away. It's not in the process. It says they have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the next verse says, And all things are of God, who hath, past tense, already reconciled us unto God. Those scriptures changed my life because just by process of elimination, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says you are a spirit, soul, and body. He prays that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. So you've only got three parts. You can tell by observation that your body and your soul aren't changed. So all of a sudden it just dawned on me, my spirit's changed. In the spirit, I'm a brand new person. I'm completely different in the spirit. And what is your spirit like? Here, here is a passage of scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that talks about the spirit. If you put this in context, in verse 16, he talks about walk in the spirit. 
and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Did you know that these are terms, religious terms that most people have heard, but they don't have a grasp on. They don't have a handle on. It doesn't mean a lot to them. But your flesh is just talking about your soul, your way you think, and your body, going by your emotions, how you feel, things like that. And walking by how you feel and what you see in the physical realm is contrary to what the Bible says has happened to you in the Spirit. And if you would walk in what the Spirit is, what the Bible reveals, remember that verse I already quoted, John 6, 63, it says, the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. This word is a... Uh, it's a window. It's a way of viewing into the spirit realm. This tells you what's going on in the spirit. Your physical senses tell you what's going on in this natural world, but only the word of God can give you an accurate representation of what's going on in the spirit. And you just have to trust this. The Bible says in James chapter 1, it's like a mirror. And if you want to see what you're like in the flesh, you go look in a mirror. You can't see your face. You've never seen your face. All you've seen is a reflection of your face. You go look in the mirror and you, you take action based on what you see in that mirror. Amen. I know some of you, this is just a new way of thinking. Some of you, well, I've seen my face a million times. You have never looked at your face. You can't see your face. Amen. Now, if you maybe you got a really big nose, you might be able to see a little bit of it. Amen. You know what? You never look straight at yourself. What you do is you see a reflection or a picture or a drawing of yourself and you trust what you see, but you aren't, you aren't really seeing you. You're seeing a reflection of you. How do you know that that image is correct? I remember in Uganda by the elevator at this hotel, they had a mirror. There was a floor to ceiling mirror and the thing was so bad that, I mean, it made you look tall and skinny or short and fat. I mean, it was just distorted. How do you know that what you're seeing isn't distorted? I'm not trying to get you to doubt what you see in the mirror. I'm just saying that you are looking at a reflection. You aren't looking at yourself. You're looking at a representation of yourself. And you know what? That's what this is in the spirit realm. You can't see your spirit. So how do you know what's going on in the spirit? This is a mirror is what it says in James chapter 1. And you just hold the mirror up. Somebody says, how are you? And you say, well, let's see. Ephesians 1, 3, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. And your senses tell you you aren't blessed. Your senses tell you you've messed up big time. Your senses tell you that you're ugly, that you're poor, that you're stupid, that you're whatever. And you know what? You have to go by what the word says if you're going to walk in spirit. And in truth, that's all that walking in spirit is, is just, what does the word say? What is the spirit? Who are you in Christ? And most people do not know who they are. They say, well, I know that the Bible says I can lay hands on the sick, but I just don't feel it. That's flesh. That's carnal. And because you can't feel it, you don't believe that God's changed you. You don't believe that you have the anointing. You don't believe that you have this power. And so you go by the flesh instead of the spirit. And so much of what's called praise and worship is all talking about how you feel in the flesh, reinforcing your flesh, griping and complaining about your flesh instead of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So have you found Galatians 5.22 yet? If you hadn't found it yet, just look on with your neighbor. You probably aren't going to get there. But in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Man, there is so much in that. But this is telling you what your spirit is like. Did you know your spirit is full right now of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those things are already in your spirit. And yet I meet people all the time. Well, we're just, you know, I was always raised, we're just a... a, a hard type of person. You know, we just aren't a touchy feeling. This is just the way that I am. And what you're doing is describing your flesh. This is the reason that when we first started our school, the director of our school in the beginning, his wife gave one of these tests, a personality profile thing to find out what your giftings were. And uh, she passed this out and they did a test. And uh, we had a minor revolt in the school. And people got upset, and so they came and asked me, and I said, look, I've taken those tests. Matter of fact, I was in Charlotte one time, and there was a lady in Charlotte who gave me one of these tests. And it was scary. When you read the interpretation, it's just like somebody was looking over my shoulder at me. It It was amazing how accurate it was. But here's what I disagree with those things. It's telling you what your flesh is like at any given moment. It's testing your flesh, your emotion realm, your mental realm. It does not reflect who you are in the spirit. And so it can give you a snapshot of where you are at this moment. But where I disagree is people think this is just the way you are. This is your core and you can't deviate from this. You're just a hard person over here or you're a very emotional person, a very relational person or whatever. No, that's a snapshot of where you are at the moment in your flesh, but your spirit man is identical to Jesus. And it's got all of these things, and I dislike it when people tell me that this is your gifting and this is just the way you are adjust. That's wrong. There are many of us that were just raised, and we've got terrible things in our life, and we're blaming it on God and saying this is the way we are. It's the way your flesh is. It's the way it was trained to be. But in your spirit, man, you are absolutely free. And you've got all of this fruit constantly. It never comes and goes. You are always full of love. There's times that I've had people spit in my face. I've had people kidnap me. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've, had, I've been slandered. I've had, I've had a lot of things happen to me. And you know what? In my flesh, I don't feel blessed by that. When this guy spit a big old wad of chewing tobacco, I mean, he had a wad this big and he just spit it right on my white shirt. That didn't bless me. I wanted to punch his lights out. That's what I felt. But you know what? I've come to learn that I've also got a spirit and in my spirit is love, joy, peace. And I just refuse to let what I feel in the natural affect who I am in the spirit. I've got a set of spiritual emotions, love, joy, and peace. And I've got a choice. Am I going to operate in what I feel or am I going to operate in what the Bible says I am? And see, this applies when it comes to worship. You come in and you've got all kinds of feelings and emotions and you may have had a fight on the way to church and you may have had somebody do this to you and that and you may not feel love, joy, and peace, but according to Scripture, it's there. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't... There isn't a uh, 
summer and winter and fall season in the spirit. You are bearing fruit constantly and it, your spirit always, always, always is full of love and joy and peace. So if you aren't feeling love and joy and peace, you've solved the problem. Somebody says, how did I solve the problem? You aren't in the spirit. <laughs> your spirit's always in love, joy, and peace. If you don't feel love, joy, and peace, it's because you aren't in the spirit. You aren't worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You're going by your emotions. And so much, I believe, of praise and worship is all flesh-oriented based on how you feel. And if you don't feel it, then you just can't enter in. And I'm telling you, you're going to have to get beyond that to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what is, what is spirit? You just look in the Word of God. What have you got? These verses right here will tell you what you've got. The truth is you can rejoice all of the time. I was telling you that I wouldn't sing those songs. I bet I got joy like a river, peace like a... What? I forget how that goes. Weren't you all around? <laughs> Love like the ocean, joy like a fountain, peace like a river in my soul. And I wouldn't sing that because I just didn't feel all of those things. And when I got out and the Lord began to show me this, I just nearly kicked myself. Like I could have been rejoicing about what I had in Christ the whole time, but I was just going by the flesh. I wasn't worshiping God in spirit. I was not entering in because I didn't feel it. And that is absolutely wrong. Matter of fact, there was a time right after I went to pastor a little church in Pritchett, Colorado, it was a town of 144 people, and uh, there was 10 people in the church, and I left a church that, you know, it wasn't big, but it was 50 or 60 people we were eating on a regular basis. It looked like we were going to live and not die. I was starting a radio ministry, and things were going good, and I was in a relatively good place, and God told me to go to Pritchett, Colorado, where there was 10 people in the church. And 144 people in the whole town. There's no way that you could ever prosper uh, through that. But anyway, I did it. And I gave up all of these things, sacrificed to go minister to these people. And within a short period of time, they, uh, boy, they just revolted big time. Accused me of stealing money, lying, committing adultery, getting drunk, doing dope, everything. They just, it, it was just a total rebellion. There was, we grew to 100 people in a town of 144, but there were still these 10 people, they didn't like it. And so anyway, it's a long, long story, but I was just feeling really discouraged and feeling like these people don't appreciate me. Wasn't, I wasn't loved and appreciated. And so I was just waiting on Jamie and the boys to go to bed so I could have a pity party. And I had sent out all my invitations. Every demon in Baca County had showed up they were all waiting on, on me to just sit, sit down and gripe and complain because I deserved it. It wasn't fair. And I was just going to have a pity party. And while I was waiting on them to go to, to bed, I just was sitting at the kitchen table and I remember opening my Bible and it just flops open to Galatians 5.22 and I read who I was in the Spirit and what I had in the Spirit and that my Spirit was was rejoicing and it had love, joy and peace and long suffering and faith and goodness and all of these things. And I knew what the Lord was speaking to me, but you know what? I didn't want to rejoice. I actually wanted to gripe. I thought I'd feel better if I griped. 
Has anybody else ever felt that way? <laughs> you know, our society today has embraced and enshrined emotions to an ungodly place to where people don't feel, and if they don't feel like doing it, they just won't do it. You know, in past times, that used to be called immature, that you just have, need to grow up. You know, you don't always feel like getting up and going to work, but you do it because you've made a commitment, you've been hired, and you just, you know, suck it up and do it. That's part of growing up. But spiritually and emotionally, and especially charismatics, because you can feel the presence of God. There are times that we get into the presence of God, and I've had awesome experiences with God. And if you aren't careful, you'll become addicted to emotions. You'll become addicted to your feelings and you will get to, charismatics can be worse than anybody else to where if they don't feel something, they just don't feel like that God has shown up that there's any reality to it. And uh, I tell you, you need to just go by what the Word says. That's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So anyway, the Lord spoke to me and I knew He was telling me that, you know, you've got a choice. You feel depressed. You feel discouraged. You feel these things. But here's what the Word of God says, that you have love, joy, peace. Are you going to go by the Spirit? Are you going to worship me in spirit and in truth? Or are you going to let your emotions dominate you? And there was a struggle because I wanted to gripe. I wanted to complain. You will have people in this, in our uh, psychology-dominated world tell you that something's wrong with you if you suppress your emotions. Man, your emotions should be suppressed. Actually, I'm not sure that suppressed is the right word. You need to cast those cares over on the Lord and just get rid of them. But you don't need to indulge every negative feeling and emotion. We've been told that you do, but you don't. Some of them are just rotten emotions. You need to bury them. You need to get rid of them. And so anyway, I, I struggled with this for a while, but by the time Jamie and the boys got to bed, I was down in the basement just praising God and worshiping Him in spite of what I felt like. And you know, it's like priming a pump. When you do that and you start worshiping God by solely acting on what the Word says, not what you feel, then these spiritual emotions start manifesting themselves. And they're similar, but they're different. Like, for instance, the peace of God. You know, the world will talk about peace, but what they mean peace is they just don't have any problems at the moment. But God's kind of peace. You can have a supernatural peace when the world is crashing around you. I remember when my son died, and you know what? I just, I chose. I did not feel like praising God, but I chose to praise God in spite of how I felt. And I chose to start worshiping God in spirit and in truth and saying, Father, thank you that you did not kill my son. And I just worshiped him for his faithfulness. I felt like griping and complaining, saying, God, it's not fair. I'm doing all of these things. How come my son dies? But you know what? I just started worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I mean, when I did that, then I had a supernatural peace come over me. It was completely separate from all of my facts in my life. It was supernatural. It had nothing to do with my circumstances. My circumstances were all bad. And yet I just had supernatural peace. And then I had joy. I mean, I started laughing. <laughs> You're told that your son dies and you start laughing. 
That's not normal. <laughs> but you know, I am convinced that if I would have ever let my emotions go and get out of control and get into bitterness and hurt and all of this, I was just teaching our first year students this, this week over in James chapter 1 that it says sin, uh, lust conceives sin. And then sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, uh, James chapter 1. And the word uh, lust there is not just talking about a sexual, immature, you know, kind of desire because uh, Galatians 5, 16, if you're here, it says that the spirit, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the spirit lusteth against the flesh, lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The Holy Spirit lust. This isn't talking about a sexual desire. The word lust just means strong, overpowering emotion. And there, the spirit has emotion. And um, anyway, I got a little sidetracked there. What was I talking about? So anyway, if I would have let my emotions go, you know what? I'd have never been able to rein them back in. I believe that my son would be dead today. But because of that, I mean, joy rose up, peace rose up, and I started laughing and praising God. And when we got in here to the springs... My son had been dead for nearly five hours and he just sat up, started talking and no brain damage. That is absolutely a miracle. Amen. And if I would have indulged my emotions, my flesh, my son would be dead. I wouldn't have a granddaughter who was born a year later. All that came because I was able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Go beyond what I feel. And I just wanted to relate this to, to praise and worship. That praise and worship isn't about your circumstances. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what people have done to you. It's not about all of your problems. It's about what Jesus has done and who you are in the Spirit. And this ought to be our focus. And again, I mentioned this last night, but so much praise and worship, I even hate to put it in that category, but that's what it's called. It's talking about how bad we are. Uh, about how tough the life is. You know, I turned on uh, the radio this morning coming in just to kind of check it out and listen to two Christian songs is all I could take. And it was just pitiful. Just pitiful talking about how tough it is and how I failed you again. And It's just pitiful. You know what that is? That's the flesh. And, so, and that's not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's worshiping God in the flesh. And I would dare to say, I don't have any way of knowing exactly, and I am not the ultimate standard. Uh, you know, all of this is subjective, and I may be uh, too critical, I don't know. But anyway, I, I would venture to say that the majority, majority, the vast majority of what we call praise and worship music today is not in spirit and in truth. It's not glorifying God about who you are in the Spirit and what God has done. It's not the truth of the Word of God. It's just glorifying our hurts and our feelings and telling God how we feel. God doesn't want to know how you feel. Now, let me say this. God loves you, and I understand that God is patient. And he's, praise God, He's much more patient than I am. Amen. God's not going to be mean to you. But... God doesn't want to hear you talk about how bad you feel. And it doesn't do you any good and it doesn't do God any good. 
Why don't you praise Him for all of the awesome things He's done? Why don't you worship in spirit and in truth and talk about how great He is and, and just, I mean, completely contrary to all of your emotions. You know, I remember at church a few times that, man, I was under some really severe things going on and I went, and they were just singing songs. I can't remember now what it was, but it was just about the goodness of God, how awesome God was, and everything in my life was completely opposite of what we were singing, and I just sang it in spirit and in truth, not based on what I saw and on what I felt. And I tell you, that that is powerful. It ministers to me so much. That's what praise and worship should do. It should put our mind beyond this physical, beyond just the natural, beyond yourself, and it ought to focus you on what God has done, who you are in Christ. Man, that's awesome. And again, that is just not the norm for most praise and worship music. But that ought to be the norm. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And just do it because this is what the Word says. Go to praising Him by faith and it helps refocus your attention. It, it focuses your attention on God. Whatever you're singing about is going to focus your attention on something. And if you're talking about the hardships and the troubles of life and how tough it is, even if you put a five-second thing in there, but God's my answer. If you spend a minute griping in five seconds, but God's my answer, the overall effect is negative. You need to focus on God. And again, I think that this is what praise and worship should all be about, is just worshiping God. Some of these songs we sang today were awesome. Straight scripture about what they're doing in heaven. If you turn over to the book of Revelation, read in Revelation chapter 4 about what they're doing in heaven, they are just praising God. Holy, holy, holy. They're glorifying God. They aren't talking about how bad things are on the earth, about, oh God, how are you going to pull this one out? God, how are you going to overcome this? They are glorifying God. They are operating by faith in the natural. Things look like they're getting worse. Matter of fact, it prophesies that in the end times, things will get worse. We're going to have the Antichrist come and there's going to be terrible things happen. And yet I guarantee you, heaven is in a constant state of praise because they read the end of the book. They know what's going to happen. And they praise God by what they see in the spirit realm instead of just how they feel in the natural. And brothers and sisters, this is what praise is all about. We've got one of the greatest tools. Praise is a powerful weapon. You know, uh, Matthew chapter, where was that? Chapter 21 or 22 when Jesus went into Jerusalem and the children were praising him and they were shouting, Hosanna, glory to God. And the chief priests, the scribes, the elders got upset because they were worshiping him like that. Did you know that the people who are always stuck in their flesh and stuck in their situations and glorifying their problems will always be offended when somebody just really glorifies God. They'll say, you're being insensitive. You aren't compassionate. You aren't feeling what I feel. And so they came out and they criticized Jesus. And Jesus said, if these should hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out. And then he referred back to Psalms chapter 8 Verse 2, where it says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast uh, perfected praise. Or actually in Psalms chapter 8, Jesus said it that way in Matthew chapter 21, I believe it was. But in Psalms chapter 8, it says out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength. 
So you put those two together, praise is strength. And the rest of that verse in Psalms 8, 2 goes on to say that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Praise is strength that just stops Satan in his tracks. Satan cannot handle praise. True praise. Now, he can handle griping and complaining. Matter of fact, he inspired it. But when you go to really worshiping and praising God, it's powerful. We have one of the greatest tools. Praise and worship is one of the most important things that you can possibly do. There are people that will never listen to me because of my Texas accent or because of whatever or, or because of I'm too doctrinal or whatever. And yet a, a praise and worship leader can come along and sing a song that glorifies God and reach a person, go past all of their barriers, all of these things. Music is just like a vehicle that will go places that just the spoken word can't. It's a powerful, powerful tool. But it has to be in spirit and in truth. It cannot be emotional. It can't be based on just something that touches people's emotions. It's got to be spirit and in truth. That's the kind that the Lord is seeking to worship Him. And I just pray that during this conference that this really comes across and that, uh, praise God, we go out and begin to worship God in spirit and truth. Those of you especially who lead praise and worship, man, we need to lead people into this this uh, mindset where you are focused on what God has done for you instead of what you feel. And I tell you, we do that and it just releases the supernatural power of God. You know, there's examples in Scripture where Elisha called for a minstrel and as the minstrel played, the Spirit of God came upon him. And uh, the Spirit of God's always within us, but there is a manifested presence of God. I believe that what happened in here today you know, when Linda got to singing and worshiping the Lord, I believe that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that there was a manifest presence. The Lord is always with us. But when you go to talking about how awesome He is and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, it releases something. It takes things that are in the spiritual realm and it helps manifest them into the physical realm. Praise and worship is like a bridge from the spiritual world into the physical world. It allows things that are true in the spirit to actually become true in the physical realm. People should be getting healed during praise and worship. They should be getting set free. It should be a powerful time. And it does happen that way sometimes, but I think it doesn't happen as much as it should because we spend so much of our time focused on things in the natural instead of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Amen. So praise God for what he's done. Man, we aren't trying to get victory. We've already got victory. We need to release the victory that Jesus has already obtained instead of fighting to get victory. Instead of trying to get healed, we ought to be receiving and releasing what has already been provided. Instead of trying to get joy and work something up, you need to just release the joy that you already have on the inside. Isn't that awesome? Well, one last scripture I want to use. I'm just about out of time, but look over in Luke chapter 1. This is where Mary had had this visitation of Gabriel. He told her that she was going to give a virgin birth to the Messiah. 
And he gave her a piece of information in that, that your cousin Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. And Elizabeth was past childbearing age. She had already been through menopause. So this was totally impossible. And I believe that this served as a tremendous confirmation to Mary. Because when she went to see Elizabeth, if those things that that angel told her were true about uh, Elizabeth, well, then the things that he told her about herself were true. So anyway, she went. And as soon as she, you know, her greeting sounded in Elizabeth's ear. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy and without knowing any of these things says, what is this that the mother of my Lord has come unto me and blessed is she that believed because there will be a performance of these things. And I mean by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth began to prophesy. What a confirmation this must have been to Mary. And look at how Mary responded In verse 46, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. You know, here is a great truth. Your spirit is always in born again. Your spirit is always rejoicing. You've got love, joy, peace. It's there all of the time. It is never, your spirit is never depressed. Your spirit is never discouraged. There is never a time that it's not praising God. When you're having your pity party in the flesh, your spirit is still basking in the presence of God. It's happy. It's got love, joy, and peace. Some of you think, well, I'd be a a hypocrite to stand up and start praising God when I really feel bad. Well, it depends on what you think is your real identity. If you think your real identity is the flesh and the way you feel, well, then you'd be a hypocrite to act differently. But if you see yourself in Christ Jesus and find out who you are in Christ, you're a hypocrite to act depressed when the Bible says that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You'd be a hypocrite not to rejoice over your healing, even though the doctor says you're dying because the Bible says that you've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. So in the spirit, your spirit is always rejoicing, but she says, my soul doth magnify. The word magnify means to make bigger. My soul magnifies, increases my perception of God and my spirit hath rejoiced. There's some people that say, well, I'm rejoicing in the spirit. Well, that's true. You are. But you know what? Your soul needs to get involved too. And some people wait until they feel the Spirit. You know what? Your Spirit's already rejoicing just by faith. Just act on it. Amen? Well, I don't feel like lifting my hands. You don't have to feel like it. Bible says lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. It's a command. I don't feel like doing something. You just, you get your body into motion. When you, your spirit's always in tune with God. When your body gets in tune with God, that's two against three. Your, your soul, well, excuse me, I'd, I'd be better to say it this way. If your spirit's always rejoicing, if your soul gets into agreement and in your soul you start magnifying the Lord and speaking it, then your body just has to go along. Two against one. Amen. This is how you stay happy. Your spirit's always happy. And then you learn the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And you just start rejoicing when you feel like crying. When you feel like giving up. Father, I'm just, I thank you that I'm so full of hope. And you just start operating on who you are in the spirit. That's, that's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And when you do that, 
it's like priming that pump and all of this life that you have on the inside of you just comes flooding out into your flesh. You're too late to tell me it doesn't work. I've already experienced it. Amen. And so you need to find out who you are in Christ. You can't release something and appropriate something if you don't know what you have. You need to get spiritually minded. But then, praise God, we need to start worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And quit going by how you feel. And quit glorifying your problems and talking about nobody knows the trouble I feel. Nobody knows my sorrow. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim. Quit glorifying your problems. And glorify the answer. Glorify what Jesus has done. And I guarantee you, you do that and you will begin to start worshiping God in spirit and in truth. God will be blessed by it and I guarantee you, He'll bless you back. Amen? Father, we love you and we just thank you for what you've done and we worship you, Father, because of what you've done, not because of what we feel, but because of the truth, the spirit and the truth. We thank you and I speak these things, believe the Holy Spirit brings it back to people's remembrance and they start worshiping you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God.